0: everybody, welcome to the 68th episode of our World News Podcast. This episode, along with all of our other news podcasts, are part of Atlas News. Check out the Lethal Minds Journal, a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs, art, and culture. Take a look at the Journal's Bulletin from the Borderlands, a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication for multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists. Head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds.journal to see more. Please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash analyzeeducate, gofi, ko-fi.com slash analyzeeducate, or at substack, analyzeeducate.substack.com. And with that being said, we will head into the news. All right, getting started here. You guys have helped us reach over 28,000 downloads and over 1,700 followers on Spotify. So, thank you very much for all your support. Looking at the Indo Pacific region, Japan, this was reported late on November 14th. Australian sailors operating inside Japan's exclusive economic zone received minor injuries from the sonar pulses of a Chinese destroyer. Sailors belonging to the Anzac class frigate HMAS. Toowoomba were conducting United Nations sanctions enforcement operations in international waters inside Japan's exclusive economic zone when they had a, quote, unsafe and unprofessional interaction with a PLAN destroyer, the DD-139 Ningbo. The Australian sailors were diving to remove fishing nets that became entangled around Toowoomba's propellers. Australia says that despite the Chinese vessel acknowledging communications on the ongoing dive, it used a hull-mounted sonar to pulse the divers, leading to minor injuries. For those that don't know, depending on the decibel level used on sonar, a pulse can actually kill divers. According to the U.S. Navy, decibel levels above 160 will cause some damage and 235 decibels can instantly kill a person. Moving on to Central Asia and the Middle East, looking at the Israel-Hamas war, reported casualties for Gaza. Of course, this is coming from the Hamas-run Gazan Health Ministry, so take these numbers with a grain of salt. Again, these are reported casualties. These are not confirmed by any means. For Gaza, we have 14,854 killed, 36,000 injured. For Israel, we have 1,320 killed. That includes the casualties that the IDF has taken inside Gaza. We also have 7,266 injured. And looking at Gaza casualties, uh, the Israeli Defense Forces have taken 70 uh, killed in action and 260 wounded. Again, I can't really find a good updated number for wounded. That 260 number is coming from November 3rd. There have been plenty wounded since then. Looking at the West Bank, you have 225 killed, 2,469 injured. In Lebanon, you have 92 killed. That was actually revised down by two, and that includes 74 members of Hezbollah. And looking at Syria, you have 26 killed, 15 wounded. And for Egypt, you have nine injured. That brings us a total of 16,517 killed and 54,759 wounded. According to the Committee to Protect Journalists, the number of journalists and media workers that have been killed in this war is 50. The vast majority of those, 43, were Palestinians that were killed in Gaza. Two Lebanese journalists were killed in an Israeli airstrike in southern Lebanon over the week. Those are the most up-to-date numbers. The city of Jabalia has been surrounded by multiple Israeli units. This includes the 162nd Division, the 933rd Nahal Brigade, and the 401st Brigade, and also the 551st Brigade Combat Team. The battle for that city will likely resume after the ceasefire ends. I'll get into that in a second. Border clashes between Israel and Lebanese Hezbollah have continued. Yemen-based Houthi rebels have continued their activity in the region. On the 19th, Houthi rebels hijacked the Galaxy Leader, which is a roll-on, roll-off vessel in the Red Sea. The hijacking was done using a helicopter-borne assault, and soon after, the Houthis announced that they would attack ships owned and operated by Israeli companies and ships that were also flying the Israeli flag. This was announced in, quote, solidarity with the Palestinian people, end quote. Galaxy Leader is a Bahamian-flagged vessel that was sailing from Turkey to India. It is owned by a British company, but it is linked to an Israeli billionaire, Abraham Ungar. However, it is currently being leased to a Japanese company, which is likely what led to the confusion over who actually owns the ship. According to the office of Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, the ship has a crew of 25 who come from multiple countries, including Ukraine, Bulgaria, Mexico, and the Philippines. We really don't have an update on the cruise since that happened. The Houthis have also continued launching missiles and suicide drones towards southern Israel. Twice over the week, guided missile destroyer USS Thomas Hudner shot down suicide drones from Yemen bound for Israel. Moving on to hostages, roughly 215 people are still being held hostage in Gaza. So far, 48 hostages have been released. This includes two Americans, with dual citizenship. They were released some weeks ago. Additionally, two have been found deceased inside Gaza, and one hostage has been rescued. That was during the first days of the ground operation. 44 hostages were released over this week as part of deals with Hamas. A four-day ceasefire that I mentioned earlier between Hamas and Israel went into effect on Friday at 0500 GMT, that's UTC, whatever you want to call it, As part of the deal, a number of Israeli hostages will be released each day. This will, in the end, total 50 women and children once the ceasefire expires. Again, it's just a four-day thing. Additionally, 150 Palestinian prisoners, also women and children, will be released from Israeli prisons. Also, humanitarian aid, medical supplies, and fuel is flowing into Gaza from the Egyptian border 26 Israelis have been released so far. A separate deal between Hamas and Egypt has secured the release of one Filipino and 17 Thai hostages as well. The deal between Israel and Hamas was actually a pretty serious risk for a few hours today. Today is Saturday, November 25th, and for a bit it, it was looking like this wasn't uh, going to hold up. But Qatar's foreign ministry confirmed that the situation has been resolved. Hamas accused Israel of not letting all the agreed-upon aid into Gaza. Israel denied that allegation, but Hamas delayed the release of the second group of hostages because of it. Israel gave Hamas until midnight local time on Sunday to release the second group of hostages and threatened to resume military actions in Gaza if they did not comply with the terms of the agreement. Thanks to the situation having been resolved, Hamas has released another 13 Israeli hostages and seven foreign nationals. I believe those are all Thai workers Israel released 39 Palestinian prisoners in return no Americans have yet been released since the initial release of that mother daughter a few weeks back we will keep you guys up to date as far as that goes again the ceasefire is supposed to end here in a couple days and hostages are supposed to be uh, released on both of those days so we'll be monitoring that for sure Since October 17th, there have been at least 70 drone and rocket attacks on U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria. The Pentagon has confirmed 59 casualties so far. This includes at least 25 traumatic brain injuries. All 59 have since returned to duty, thankfully. The U.S. military has launched four response strikes. The fourth strike came on the night of the 21st after troops at the Al-Assad Air Base in Iraq came under rocket attack at the hands of Iranian-backed militias. A U.S. Air Force AC-130J Ghost Rider gunship from the 73rd Special Operations Squadron struck a vehicle linked to that rocket attack. Multiple militants belonging to Kataib Hezbollah, which is a main Iranian proxy in the country, were killed. This airstrike was the first one in Iraq, and it was also the first utilizing an AC-130. The gunship was circling over the area for several hours with its transponder on, therefore it was easily trackable, which is Very rare for an aircraft actively carrying out a combat mission. Looking at Allied Naval Forces posture in the region, thank you to Ian Ellis and Intel Schizo on Twitter for their infographics. The Israeli Navy still has three Corvettes and one missile boat operating south of Cyprus. The Ford Carrier Strike Group has left the region. The Dwight D. Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group is still in the Gulf of Oman. The Bataan Amphibious Readiness Group is still in the Red Sea. It will remain there for the time being. French helicopter carrier F.S. Tonnerre, as well as two accompanying French ships, are still south of Cyprus. British Littoral Response Group South is near Cyprus as well. NATO Standing Group 2 is still in the Sea of Crete. The U.N. Interim Force in Lebanon still has five ships in the Eastern Med. U.S. Patrol Forces Southwest, otherwise known as Patswa, and Task Force 52 are operating in the Gulf of Oman. And there are at least 28 ships in the region, allied ships, including U.S. ships that are not assigned to a task force or assigned to a mission tied to the situation in Gaza. We will take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, we're back with Africa, taking a look at Sudan. Fighting between the Sudanese Armed Forces and the Rapid Support Forces continues, even though we haven't covered this for a while. The war has so far forced 6.1 million people from their homes. 1.3 million of those have fled to other countries. Additionally, between nine and 10,000 people have been killed. Since the last time we covered this war, which has been some weeks, The RSF has gained a lot of ground in Darfur, particularly. They've also continued committing horrific war crimes. Earlier in November, the RSF and Janjaweed forces massacred anywhere from 800 to 1,300 people at a refugee camp in Artamata in West Darfur. Most, if not all, of those targeted belong to the Masalit community. We have reported on the RSF targeting the Masalit people before. The massacre came after elements of the Army's 15th Infantry Division retreated across the border into Chad, thus leaving the people in the camp vulnerable. Looking at Gabon, the country's post-coup military government announced its plans to hold elections and return to civilian rule in August 2025. The country has been ruled by General Brisey. Aluigui Neguema, since he led a coup on August 30th against President Ali Bongo, who served for nearly 14 years, and is also the son of longtime President Omar Bongo, who served for 41 years. Moving on to the Americas, Bulletin from the Borderlands release on the 15th. We covered a tense border and water dispute between Haiti and the Dominican Republic, and also the presidential election in Argentina. The next bulletin releases on December 1st. Looking at Argentina, Javier Malay, the libertarian congressman, defeated Peronist economic minister Sergio Massa to become Argentina's next president. Malay defeated Massa by 11 percent. Looking at Mexico, it's been an eventful week for the Sinaloa cartel, particularly the faction led by El Chapo's sons, known as Los Chapitos. On the 22nd, Mexican security forces captured Nestor Isidro Perez, otherwise known as El Nini. Nini is the head of security for Los Chapitos. His detention notice says that he was arrested by the National Guard at a home north of Culiacan. For several weeks prior to his arrest, security forces had been conducting raids in the area in what was thought to be an effort to go after Nini. Nini played a major role in the Culiacanazo, the Battle of Culiacan in 2019, in which the Mexican National Guard and Army was surrounded when trying to extract Ovidio Guzmán the son of El Chapo, from the city. He has been sought after by the United States. The DEA has a $3 million bounty for information leading to his arrest, and he has been charged in relation to cocaine and fentanyl trafficking, witness retaliation, and owning machine guns. According to journalist Luis Chaparro, the operation to arrest Nini came after the second arrest of Ovidio Guzman, otherwise known as the second Coyacanazzo. Nini was almost arrested at the home of his wife's parents, but he managed to escape recently. Going back to his actual arrest last week, Chappado says that some sources from an unnamed U.S. federal agency think that Nini may have actually been given up by members of the cartel, considering how he was caught off guard during his arrest. One of those sources said that the U.S. government began to believe that Ivan Alchivardo and Alfredito Guzman, two of El Chapo's other sons, Juan and Nini gone because of the attention he was bringing to Los Chapitos. They did not want to hand him over, but instead would leave him alone, vulnerable to capture or death at the hands of the Mexican security forces, according to U.S. intelligence. However, a member of the Guzman family, an active member of Los Chapitos, told Chaparro that Nini was warned that Mexican special forces were pursuing him and that he should avoid going to Culiacán for that reason. The source said that Chapo's sons did not want him gone, rather Nini wanted to be left alone. The source said that cartel gunmen were ordered not to engage security forces during the arrest by the two Guzman brothers because they did not want to harm the community as they had during the two arrests of their brother, Ovidio. El Nini is currently fighting against extradition to the U.S., and Chapado says that his lawyers may try to get him released, arguing that excessive force was used during the arrest as shots were fired in the direction of Nini, despite him being unarmed at the time. Moving on, and I am including this in Mexico because it is cartel-related, early on the 23rd Thanksgiving morning, Eddie Escobedo was killed in a shootout in, in an industrial area of Willowbrook in south L.A. County. Escobedo, otherwise known as El Mago, was a businessman in Los Angeles who was widely known as a close associate of Ivan Archivargo Guzman, one of the leading brothers of Los Chapitos, as I was saying earlier. Mago was with one of his sons at a supposed after party in the industrial area when the shooting happened. Mago's son was injured and the shooter was allegedly killed by the son, actually. There are conflicting reports as to why Mago was killed. Luis Chaparro claims that Mago was killed by Florencia 13, which is a Mexican-dominated street gang in South L.A. with ties to the remnants of the Arellano Felix cartel in northern Mexico. Mago was implicated in the 2008 murder of Jose Luis Macias in Los Angeles. Macias was connected to drug smuggling operations for the cartel, In the theory from Luis Chaparro is that the cartel put a hit out on Mago as revenge for the killing of Macias some years back. The other theory is that Mago was killed during a heated argument at the after party. The shooter was identified as 47-year-old Guillermo de Los Angeles. In 2015, he was sentenced to 10 years in prison for a conspiracy to distribute methamphetamine, but he was fully released in late 2022. According to a report from the LA Times, Guillermo was a member of 18th Street, which is a Central American and Mexican street gang that was also founded in Los Angeles. At this time, multiple people have been detained in connection with the shooting, but there have been no arrests as far as we know. Moving on to the U.S., got a presidential race update. These are poll averages from 538. Biden's approval is at 39. His disapproval is at 55. Both of those have remained the same for a couple weeks, actually. Looking at Trump's favorability, he is at 42%. That is up one point. His unfavorability is at 53. That is down one point. Looking at the Democratic primary, Biden is at 67. He's down two points from last week. Miriam Williamson is at 6%. She's also down two points. And Congressman Dean Phillips is at 4%. He is down one point from last week. Looking at the Republican primary, Trump is at 60%. He is up one point from last week. DeSantis is at 12. He's down two points. And Nikki Haley is at 10%. She is up one point. U.S. Senators James Rich of Idaho and Chuck Grassley of Iowa have sent a letter to Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Attorney General Merrick Garland questioning why Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro has not been arrested since he has visited multiple countries that have extradition treaties with the U.S. In 2020, Maduro, along with 14 other Venezuelan officials, was charged in connection to alleged cooperation with the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, otherwise known as the FARC, to traffic cocaine into the U.S. Maduro has taken three trips to countries that have extradition agreements with the U.S. since being charged. That's two trips to Mexico and one to Brazil. The senators have been asked to be informed of any legal action taken to try and arrest Maduro by next weekend. Moving on, the Pentagon has again failed its annual independent audit for this year. The Chief Financial Officers Act of 1990 mandates that all federal agencies undergo yearly independent audits of their financial assets and records. Since then, the Department of Defense has been the only agency to never pass a single audit. This consistent failure has raised concerns over the military's ability to manage its $842 billion yearly budget, which was increased by $100 billion two years ago. These audits are done to prevent waste, fraud, and other forms of abuses within federal agencies. In past audits of the DOD, abuse has been found in the form of billing irregularities, contractors using taxpayer funds for personal gains, and overcharges for services and products. As Stanford Nix with Atlas News points out, the failure to adequately manage assets can have negative effects on multiple missions that the dod is involved in this includes the dispensing of military aid to countries like israel and ukraine moving on on the 22nd troopers with the texas department of public safety on Froton island heard multiple gunshots and explosions coming from los guerra mexico after deploying a drone to the area troopers were able to arrest 10 cartel members It was determined that those cartel members were firing fully automatic weapons and detonating IEDs. The circumstances of the gunfire and explosions were not stated, but that area is one of the most dangerous along the entire U.S.-Mexico border, and local cartels often fight with each other for control of smuggling routes. That is all I have for you guys this week. I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. Of course, it means a lot to me. You can find this podcast on your favorite apps. That includes Spotify. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That is all one word. Please consider supporting us again. Patreon, patreon.com slash Analyze Educate. Ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash Analyze Educate or Analyze Educate.substack.com. All those links are in the show notes below. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating on the app used to listen to this podcast. Hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. That's all I have for you right now. I'll see you soon.